0: what's up everybody we're back with another episode of the Drag Zine podcast i'm your host senior associate editor brian wagner joining me this week is pro mod superstar jay cox jay what's going on
1: not much man just down here in smithfield working buddy
0: yeah you're out uh hauling cars and doing the deal right yeah yeah sorry about that a little earlier
1: we were out there we had a couple record calls we had to get knocked out this morning
0: no no i totally get it it's just funny it's like you say a lot of us man we uh we race for fun, but we got to work for a living,
1: right? Yeah, man, we work seven days a week, 24 hours a day with the tow truck, so I got to work so I can play a little bit.
0: Yeah, because uh, Pro Mod Pistons aren't cheap, am I right? (laughs) Yeah, Pro Mod Pistons, Pro
1: Mod Motors, everything, man. It's, uh, I got a lot of good people to help me out, but still at the end of the day, man, a lot of this stuff is really expensive, and it's from when I started 10 years ago to now, man, it's Probably went up five times in price, man. It's it's at some point it's got to find an area where it levels out.
0: Oh, they they'll always find a new doodad widget or something for us to buy to put on a car. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they do.
1: They do. They, they <laughs> the next greatest thing. You know the,
0: the, the next shiny object. You know that's uh, <laughs> it's like, ooh, ooh, you there need you this. Do. You need this. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I don't know what that is, but I'll put it on the car. Now. That's yeah. something you mentioned. I've tried.
1: I've tried to. What's that? Go ahead. I said I've tried to stay away from the next greatest thing, man. The thing I've learned is probably when you get that next greatest thing in there, usually it's puts you a couple steps back. So I, I try to try the next greatest things in the winter time. You know, I try to when we start a season, I try to run with the same thing I started with. I don't, I don't. Not saying we don't refine it and make it better, but I try to. I try to stick with the same components, I should say.
0: I'm assuming that's probably part of the big success formula for for pro mod racing is you got to constantly be refining your program, right?
1: Yes, sir. I try to. I try to. I try to stick with the same components. We do a lot of testing in the winter. We go down to Florida to Bradenton. Uh, Victor down there is real good with us. And we do a lot of testing. I try. I try my best. I, Uh, this year i've done it last year i've done it but i try my best to stick with the same components when you stick with those same components you find a lot of uh, success being um um the same having the same race car day in and day out and and being able to be the same is is, is what makes you consistent and
0: and i'm assuming that's probably one of the, the the biggest keys in in racing a pro mod is being able to not make those drastic changes all at the same time right
1: absolutely well well now you know 10 years ago when i started we could show up and have a brand new motor brand new transmission rear end and try and be competitive because we had a lot of guys covered but now th- th- that ain't the case anymore if, you, if you're not consistent it don't it don't make it, it don't matter how fast you're if you're not consistent you, you're not going to be competitive because everybody has the same components the same parts and they know how to make them go fast you know
0: Yeah. And that that kind of swings in one of the questions I had for you. And I'm sure one of our viewers and listeners like, know you pro mod is not something a lot of people just jump into. It's pretty tough, tough class and drag racing. Like what was your road to, to get the pro mod and how all of it kind of start for you?
1: Man, I always, my dad raced and, um, in the sixties and seventies and eighties. And then when I was born, you know, he kind of got away from it and I kept hearing stories about it. And, uh, We built a 67 Chevelle when I was 12 years old and it had an all aluminum uh, Fulton motor in it, believe it or not. It was a street car, but it had like a 430 cubic inch small block, all aluminum. And we we bought it built and I raced it a little bit and played around with it. And my dad tried his best to keep me away from it, but I, I guess it was kind of boring to me. So I always watched the YouTube videos of Big Dog at Piedmont. And that's probably how I got into it. I'd say that path. Danny Perry he was a longtime friend. He was my hero, still my hero of the day. I looked up to him and kind of would go up there and watch him race. And he kind of introduced me to the right people. And it just kind of it took off from there and kind of just eased my way into it. you know.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's something I'm sure that was a, a interesting path, learning how to uh, drive one of these monsters. Cause pro mods aren't exactly the most forgiving vehicles on earth, right?
1: No, they're not. They're not. But you know, People talk about driving them, and I'll tell you this. If you have a mad car, a ill car, 99% of the time, it's the man tuning it or the man that's setting it up. If you set a car up the right way and you tune it the right way, these cars are really, really, in my opinion, they're, they're easy to drive. Um, you know, I, I got a car now that I've done for a guy. I actually, the guy that sponsored me, Marcus, Marcus Butner, and uh, never drove one a day in his life. I set it up for him, tuned it, and he has done fabulous. But you have to start out – you have to start out with the right components and the right people tuning them and the right people helping you. Um, You know, kind of as I advanced a little bit, you know, Ricky Smith has helped me a lot along the way. And um, me and Ricky kind of took that car under our wings a little bit, and I'm telling you that car is bad fast, and he's driving good for a short amount of time, but it goes back to – you have to have the car set up the right way. If you've got a mad car, a car that's a handful to drive, a car don't want to go down a racetrack or shakes a lot, 99% of the time, it's the man tuning it or the man that's setting it up. You know, when you when you do it the right way, these racetracks, think about it. These racetracks are absolutely, they've got it to a science. They grind them, they polish them, they got special equipment to prep them. These racetracks are perfect. The person that messes it up is the person sitting behind the laptop tuning it the person turning the wrenches on it, you know?
0: Oh, no, that totally makes sense, because every car has a little bit of a d- different personality, and I think you'll get some people that uh, they get in a little bit too, too over their heads, either behind the wheel or behind the laptop, and they might be a little bit afraid to ask for help, and that can get expensive in a hurry.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, the, uh, racing has become the man with the biggest checkbook. There's plenty of people out there that's got money, and, and, and you're right. They go out there, and they, they jump into it because they see other people have success, And they think, well, man, I can do this. This will be easy. And then they realize real fast, hey, this is expensive. Number two, it's very, very hard. And number three, even though I have bought all the right tools, if I don't know how to put that puzzle together, it's it's, it's not going to be successful or easy.
0: I I have seen that so many times where I've seen someone local buy an amazing race rig outfit the whole deal. You see the car rolling. I'm like, all right, this thing might be pretty quick. And then you see them. So you could just tell something ain't right. That car, like that, there is a failure somewhere inside that program, and it takes all that expensive stuff they bought, and it renders it essentially useless. Oh, you're absolutely
1: right. And, and the crazy thing about it is, usually it's not the most expensive part you bought; it's the cheapest part you bought. Or the you know, yeah, it, it's just it's a it's a little teeny part, a little piece of the puzzle that you're missing. And uh, man, these things can be now they can be a handful. I'm not going to say these things can be a a monster. But if you do it right, you know they're they're very easy to drive. They're comfortable. They handle well. It's, it's 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 a it's a good deal.
0: I think that then you'll get a kick out of this statement. I saw on social media someone post, "Oh, if you just want to win in pro mod, just you know buy a Bickle car, put the pro line in it, put a pro charger on it, you're gonna win." I'm like, that that's not how any of this works no, at all.
1: No. no, I see a lot of guys that 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 they have all the right stuff and they're fast and they still don't win. And it's not a knock on nobody. It took me a while to figure out how to win. And, and, this all, and this is all I'll tell you. I was sitting in the trailer one night with Stevie when he used to race uh, a pro nitrous. And we were sitting there and we'd had us a drink or two. And I was beating myself up. And he looked at me and said, let me tell you something, guy. There is a million ways to lose. And I have figured out every single one of them. There's only one way to win. He said And when you figure out every way to lose, then you'll figure out how to win because you won't make that mistake or or cause yourself to lose and and that's always stuck with me because so many times I went out there in a race and you know we qualified I'm like man I got I got a bad hot rod we're doing good I'll go out there and just be dominant first or second round go out there third round and the fuel line or something fall off and I'm like really you kidding me and it's just and it's right there's a million ways to lose
0: a race million ways to lose a race and just as many ways to tear up a race car do something stupid that it's like you know a lot of times honestly I'll look back when bad stuff happens and I giggle I'm like you know what (laughs) what what do you like what are you gonna do like if it's something that you could not prevent that you could not foresee don't get mad it happens it's life no there's
1: all there's always little things that happen but that's, I got a really good crew, man. My guys, they give me, I told them this from day one. I said, guys, if you'll give me the same race car, every time I go to that start line, if you'll give me the same race car, we're going to be successful. We're going to win. And, and, you know, a lot of those little things, yes, are unpreventable. But but I have really good guys. They they check every bolt, every line, everything on that car is checked. And 99.9% of the time, they give me the same race car day in and day out. I make a mistake every now and then on the start line. I, I've turned it red a couple of times this year. Mark, Mark's really worked with these transmissions and man, they're fast on the tree. And, and I've turned it red a couple of times and I, I've made a couple of bad calls on the, on the computer tuning, you know. The biggest thing I've had to learn, and this is crazy, this is a little bit off subject, but you know, if you think back to when PDRA started, we ran mostly at nighttime. And the tracks are, they're phenomenal, don't get me wrong but it's way different running in the daytime. And okay. over the last two or three years, we've ran 90% of our passes are made in the daytime on a 130, 140 degree racetrack. And I didn't have anybody to teach me how to do that. I had to learn that on my own. And this took me a little while. And I think that's probably the biggest gain that I've made in the last year is any condition you throw at me. I know how, I've got that experience. I've got that data. I know how to overcome it. And, and, That's probably the biggest thing in racing right now that, you know, these racetracks are phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but there's one thing they can't eliminate, and that's heat. When that track gets up there 135, 140 degrees, it's tough, man. It's tough to go fast down it, and you got to go fast, and it's tough to do it, and you're always flirting with that fine line of, of making the pass or not making it.
0: And that really separates the people that know how to actually tune and race versus those that can go on a good track and pull their ears back and let it rip. You, you can't do that in all cases. And it you learn fast, you can't do that.
1: Oh yeah. I, I, when we first started running PDRA, man, I was like, this is easy. We go up there and I just take the computer and I turn the knob that says wide open and just let it eat. And then, you know, the, the tracks has gotten hotter and we race a lot more in the daytime and it's tough, man. It, it really is. I mean, you, it's funny because we get these guys that come out at the beginning of the season and they just haul tail, man. They just lay a number down and I'll tickled to death for them. And then they don't come in the summertime and then they come back in the fall and they just lay the numbers down and, and I laugh about it. And I'm like, I don't understand why. I mean, it's easy when that tracks hundred degrees and it's got a ton of glue on it. It's easy to go fast, but, but it, you're right. It separates the men from the boys being able to race in the heat and race in those conditions.
0: And that's why I, don't always necessarily slide all my chips on the people that are the fastest. I always look at the teams that know how to tune and can deal with conditions because on race day, that, that changes everything. That's when you, like you said, you, you separate them out. You know, who knows what to do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, man. You know, nah, you can never put all your
0: chips on one horse, not, especially
1: not racing in the daytime with a pro mod. There's so many more variables that catch up with.
0: No and you know you kind of touched on something there I wanted to hitch up about is you know the PDRA pro nitrous class is it's packed with some of the best nitrous racers in the world you can't deny that you look at the numbers over the years of how close these fields are and how tight the racing is you know the the math don't lie what's it like for you trying to stay competitive in a class like that where there there are no ducks when you line up every round
1: man it's tough and and, and that's a that's a good question. The, the thing that people, and I hate to say this because I don't want to detour deter anybody that wants to come out and run, but it all boils down to money. I, I'll be dead honest with you. You know, I was behind. No, no doubt I was behind. Jim Halsey, he has a bad hot rod. He's been bad fast for two years, and he has beat. You know, me and Tommy Franklin, we pretty much set the bar in that class for probably four years. And, and Halsey came over there in the first year or two. We kind of wore him out. And you know he 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 got his act together, and they tested and they wore stuff out. And, and you know the thing that makes Halsey so good, it's not that he has a better motor or a better car. Any what we just talked about, any condition that you throw at him, he can overcome it. Hands down, he overcomes it. I mean, we go out there and we run, and it's 80 degrees today. He's bad fast. And the morning we wake up, it's 98 degrees. He's bad fast. Any condition you throw at those guys, they know how to overcome it. And part of that that's happened with those guys is, is they haven't changed anything. They have, they have, you know, they put that skirt around the back of the car for whatever reason. I don't, I don't this the stupidest thing ever. I think i laugh about it, but you know, they want to make it like it's some big top secret ordeal, but it's not. That car is the same to this bin the motors, everything. They don't change nothing. They just fine tune it and get every little ounce of everything they got. And and that makes them bad fast. And it put me behind. I was behind. Tommy was definitely behind. I was definitely behind. We were, we've been behind probably for two years. And, and we were behind not on motors. I mean, we got just as much horsepower as anybody out there. And, and cars, we got just as good as stuff. But where we were behind is me and Tommy were constantly changing things. And we got behind because every time you throw a different obstacle at us, well, I've got new stuff. I don't, I don't have the data. I don't have the knowledge to know how to navigate that racetrack. And now that I've kind of stuck with what I've got, I found home. I know what I want, what I like, and how I want to run it. We've been really consistent. But you know, when I the first statement I made is money, and and what I mean by that is I sat down with Marcus at the beginning of the year and I said, look, man, if we're going to be competitive, I got to test a lot. I got to test in all different conditions where I've got the data to go fast in those conditions, and we tested. I mean, we probably tested before the season ever started. I made more passes than probably anybody in pro nitrous will make all year. We've got we a hundred passes made before the season ever started, you know, went to Florida and tested in the heat, went to Darlington and tested in 60 degree weather. As Soon as it got 80, I called Rhett and I was at Darlington testing in 80 degrees. When it got 90 degrees, I was at Darlington testing in 90 degrees. I built a blog book or I built a data for all conditions and, and, and Anybody can do it, but it took money to be able to be able to do that amount of testing early in the year.
0: Oh, totally! Because parts have cycle time. That's just the nature of the beast. Very. They get shorter time. and shorter on the
1: part cycle life.
0: Yeah, the, the cycle the life is you
1: know, man, the shorter.
0: It gets dude, and it's funny you mentioned the data side of it. I got I finally got to play with a weather station for, that we're going to be doing an our article with Altronics, and like. Just playing with that weather station and learning just the nuances of it in an afternoon, what it does and what we can do with it. Like, the biggest light bulb went off of my head, and I started drooling. I'm like, this is what data nerd racers live for, because you need this is the piece of the puzzle that you need if you're going to run with the fast people, like the racers in the pro nitrous field, because you have to be able to have that. You know, you got to look at the data, be like, all right, we're here. I've got this, I got to be able to plug this in because everybody else has that ability and they're just as fast.
1: Absolutely. And, and it's amazing. It would, I mean, we, we keep that if the sun's out, if it's cloudy, the track temperature, you know, how thick the rubber is, what glue they're running on the rubber that day, um, how many cars is run on it, what they're dragging the track with. And I mean, the air, the water, all that stuff matters. How much is rain that week? I mean, the data, the, and you know, I don't have nothing elaborate. I've got an old three ring binder. I mean, and it's probably that thick of notes just from this year. And and, and that's what it takes. If, if you're going to come to PDRA and knockers and you're going to run and you're going, I, I'm not saying one race, I'm talking about a whole entire year and be successful. You better keep notes, you better keep your data, and you better know how to run in all conditions because there's no telling us what they're going to throw at you. Oh,
0: yeah. You know? it- And again, it's always fun. Like I said, you know, uh, excuse me, the backside of the cameras, I get to watch what racers do and how they do things. I'll use Pat Musi as an example. I see him going up to that starting line to look at things and he's ready to go a class or two before you guys get the call. He's looking at stuff, seeing what's happening, always taking notes. He'll go out there, you know, do the old crew chief kick on the track, look at something, watch a couple runs and you'll see, swipes do that you know i'll see you guys up there doing that stuff watching and learning because then that way you fast forward to when your cars are up there guess what the laptops are on the cart i've seen ricky smith literally at darlington this year hold up a race because he was making some adjustments before he got in the car he gives the laptop to chad he belts it and goes i'm like that right there is what it takes to go fast with these guys absolutely
1: you know and and we and I'm speaking for myself, but all of them. We like to look at that racetrack before they print it. I mean, what you see before, you know, when they run over it with that rotator and they spray it. Sometimes you get a false sense of how good the racetrack is, or anything. oh yeah. And when you can look at it when 15 or 20 top sportsman cars that went down, and you say, hey man, it's bald right here. Or out there at 100 foot, you know, the rubber's coming up. You got a sense for hey, when a car, you know, because usually the higher you qualify, you run further back in the pack. So you're sitting in a car. You don't have time to go check that starting line. But I want to know what that racetrack looks like when a few cars have run down it, not when they've got done prepping. I see so many guys, they walk up there and they're done prepping. They're like, man, this thing's bad to the bone. And two cars go across it, and and it's got ball spots back on, and the rubber's coming up at 100 foot, you know. But Ricky is bad. Ricky is hands down probably the baddest man there is when it comes to a nitrous car and reading the racetrack and knowing how to go down it. You, you, you take all this testing out on Thursday and all this crap, and you go straight into qualifying, he is very good at it. And I've tried my best to learn what he knows and understands about reading a racetrack because tuning these race cars to me has really become kind of easy because I've done it for so long. I've helped so many people. I've worked on so many cars. The, the, the part that I have to really get a lot better at is reading that racetrack and understanding what that racetrack is telling me.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's the, the thing that I learned reading tracks is that I'll go through and look at whatever the starting line's doing. But if I have time or the ability, I'm walking out to 100 feet to see what's oh, yeah. going on. Because you know where that converter's going to have to lock up where the power's coming in. I'll go back to the driver tuner, tell them, hey, it's good here. It's good here. I'm going to put you over here. Because it's 65 feet out, things can get kind of dicey. And you, you let them know and be ready, like you said, because the the rotator and the static drag and the glue, you know, they'll they'll put some rose colored glasses on a pig track real fast.
1: They will. They'll make it. They'll make it look good. And a lot of people, man, I see them. They look right there at the start line for the first ten feet, and they don't look at. You know, everything I got is coming on out there at 150 foot. That's where I'm going to be making 4,000 horsepower. Not not right here on the start line. I don't have nothing at the start line. And so the most important part of the racetrack to me is out there at 60 foot or out
0: there at 140 foot. You know. I've had people look at me like I'm insane when i put a driver outside of what the normal groove is. I was like, you know, we'll get it rolling here, but I need this thing to when all, everything comes in right out there, it needs to be planted right there because that, that's the transition zone.
1: And a lot of times what people call the groove ain't the best part of a racetrack. That thing's been beat up for three days with 300 cars run down it, you know. Oh, you it's really? Sometimes it's better to get on some fresh road
0: have you ever watched the uh the nitro guys their little track prep specialists go out there oh yeah
1: yeah i watched it
0: Lanny's he's out there like that dude literally is like crawling on the ground with his <laughs> little meter like pushing the rubber i'm waiting for him to lick it one day like the only notes. thing he can't notice taste it <laughs> yeah i'm like he's taking notes i'm like what's like what's this dude doing what's he writing down it's And he's out there like several classes before, and you'll hear him talk about that, that they'll do the burnout outside of where they think the groove is because they don't want to mess it up. And that's, it's amazing to watch. To to see a Nitro team get a car down the track is just, honestly, it's almost a miracle considering everything they've got going on.
1: Yes, sir. Absolutely. No, it, it really is, man. And Nitro cars are something else. They make a
0: ton of problems. Yeah, and they make it throughout the run, and if any one thing goes wrong, you know, it can go from, oh, this is a great run to, oh, look, there's a, a piston <laughs> sailing over the scoreboard. Sweet. <laughs> or a body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, yeah, that's the other thing is a body. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, your experiences with crazy things happening behind the wheel here a little bit later, but first we're going to take a quick commercial break here on the Zine Podcast. Mosier Engineering has been racing across five decades and through three generations of family. We have also been supporting sportsman ranks since the beginning with our lightning-fast two-day turnaround time. Everything we make from axles, rear ends, suspension, brakes, and more are made right here in the USA with one goal in mind, so you can win. To learn more, check us out online at MosierEngineering.com. All right, we're back here with Jay Cox talking about what it's like hardcore racing the PDRA, one of the toughest organizations ever, what got him into it, and kind of going off the the, the hardcoreness of the PDRA, you faced off against some of, some of the biggest names in Pro Mod that are great at what they do, you know, the Halseys, the Muses, the Franklins, I mean, some some tough, tough players, you know. Let's talk about these people. Who are some of the the, the toughest people that you can name off that you've raced against and what makes them so tough to race? You know, who are your top three? Oh man. Well, man, that, that, that,
1: that kind of changes because you get a, you know, you, you get into a rhythm racing. Some people like if you race them a whole lot, you get into a rhythm on them. Probably my top three toughest people that, that, that say if a championship was on the line, I didn't want to race probably It'd be Tommy, it'd be Ricky, and be Stevie Jackson. I mean, you know, I, I, I probably, out of those three, when, when, when we all raced together, you know, Tommy, for like a year there, man, he had this little green alien, and I wanted to choke that thing, and every time we had to run each other, he would bring that little green alien over to my trailer, and it was like it jinxed me, but uh, I, I don't know, man, those, those three, you know, we've I've probably run those guys the most of anybody over my, you know, 10-year span of racing. And it just seems like those three are always the toughest. They're always on their game. They always got one of the best cars out there, and they're always on the toughest game. You know.
0: You know. You mentioned Stevie. I keep forgetting that. You know, he raced pro nitrous with the PDRA for a while. What makes someone like him so tough to race in a nitrous car? Man, me and Stevie
1: always had me and Stevie always had side bets. You know, we'd always bet we'd always bet a hundred dollars on the tree, a hundred dollars at sixty foot, a three thirty ET mile. You know, me and Stevie there's very few people out there that, that, that can, that can race and talk junk. And me and Stevie, you know, it, it just kind of, it's, it's a little better when you got stakes on the line and you talk junk about it. And, and that's, to me, that's probably what made Stevie so good. You know, me and him, we could talk junk about it, hate each other and then turn around that night and hang out and grill out on the grill. That's, that's probably what made it so great. When me and Stevie race together.
0: And then someone like tricky Ricky, I mean that dude, you talk about someone's uh you know, that their reputation precedes them and what they do. What makes someone like Ricky Smith tough to race?
1: Uh, Ricky Smith, Ricky Smith, think about it. It's what we said at the beginning of the thing, you know, there's a million ways to lose a race, but hands down, there's one way to win it. And and as much experience as Ricky's got, he's figured out all the ways not to lose the race, you know, and and it's not, everybody says tricky, Ricky and tricky this, and you never know what he's going to do. Ricky's predictable, but Ricky just knows how to win. I mean, hands down, you take all the stuff away from him. He knows how to win a race, you know, and, and and when you line up beside him, if the track's a little tricky or it's hot, he's going down the racetrack. I and mean, he's won more races just going from point A to point B. And, and that, when you know that, when you're running a man that you know, hey, this man is going down the racetrack, it makes it tougher because you have to go down the racetrack to have a chance to win.
0: Yeah, and the, the classic thing that you always need to That's think of why. is you got to run your That's own race – and yeah. race your lane you know that it goes as fast as you possibly can and you you know it's always like well you don't need to worry about the other person in the lane well that that's easier said than done isn't it because that can kind of almost enter into your strategy when you're racing with these tough people doesn't it
1: yeah it it, it, it does but, but 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 racing is just that way you have your lane and you can't do any more than what that racetrack's going to allow you to do and you know used to when I was younger it kind of bothered me or affected me who I was going to run. And you're going to laugh at this, man. I've lost more races to guys that I shouldn't lose to because I don't get amped up. I don't get pumped up. You give me a Stevie Jackson, a Tommy Franklin, a Jim Halsey, Ricky Smith, I'm on my game. I'm I'm, I'm better there than I'll ever be against somebody I shouldn't lose to. I mean, so many times from the tuning-ass point, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, I've got 400s on this guy. Just go up there and do your same thing. You've got this one. Well, I don't get pumped up. I don't. I don't. I don't get on the edge of my seat and, and do, you know. And I shouldn't say that. As bad to say that, but it's the truth. I don't. I, I've lost more rounds of racing to people that I shouldn't lose to that, than those guys that I that, that are iffies that I should beat because I get up on the edge of the seat and drive good, you know.
0: Oh, yeah, it makes a little bit of a difference in how you approach it. And then the other thing you can run into, I'm assuming, is probably some complacency where you think, oh, I've got this dude covered. And you maybe not push a little bit hard. And all of a sudden, they pull something from the bag of tricks and, you know, kind of hurt your feelings.
1: Yeah, man, it's, it's tough. And, and you know, there's nobody you can take lightly in pro nitrous anymore. I, I don't care what nobody says. You can't take them lightly. All these people have the right components, they all have the right parts, they all got really good race cars. There, there ain't no home built race cars no more. They're Rick Jones or they're vehicle race cars, they're, they're all really good motors. I mean, they're a Buck, they're a Fulton or a Moosey motor, hands down. They all got good stuff and they all can run fast. And you know, it's funny because I probably shouldn't touch on this, but I it, it don't bother me if I think it, I tell you. But you know, especially when I got to run somebody that 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 not Tommy Franklin or Halsey or or, or whoever.
0: When I got to run
1: somebody that, that you know, I, I'm going to say like a middle-of-the-pack guy or a letter, there's enough people out there that hate me. I can watch them. People will run over there to their trailer and they'll put a little tune up in that thing and spice it up. I love that. That shit drives me cr- I, That Nothing makes me no better than to watch somebody run over there, they stick that little tune up in it and I'm like, man, they want to beat me bad. And that that now that makes me drive good that gets me fired up i don't i don't care if people like me i love it when people hate me that means you're doing something right. i don't care what nobody and racing if everybody's your friend man you're sucking i'm gonna be honest with you when you're doing good everybody's gonna hate you
0: yeah like you said that that changes the dynamic of it a little bit you know yeah. what, who are some people that you know you you like to maybe do a little bit of a trash talking to that you can get in their head a little bit and have some fun with. Cause there's, there's some people that there's ice in their veins and there's some people that you can, you can probably poke them a little bit and get a rise out of them. Right.
1: Well, I can get a lot of rise out of a lot of people. I can get under a lot of people's skin and, and it's not something like, like everybody thinks naturally, naturally. that's It's not natural for me. Like I played baseball. I, I grew up playing baseball, played with Carolina, played, played here in my hometown, played with the Rockies. Naturally everywhere we go, you know, we go on the road for seven days. We're at home seven days. Those seven days that we're on the road, there's four or 5,000 people standing out there in the bleachers that are talking junk to me. So I'm used to it. I love it. It's, it's And, and when I, it's not, it don't come natural to me. That's just that's the lifestyle I grew up with. I grew up with people hating me and talking junk to me and telling me I couldn't do something. I live for that. I live for someone to, to talk junk to me. You know, they, they have these things called beer gardens in baseball. You know, they got a beer garden. They're usually in the outfield. And them guys by the sixth or seventh inning, they've had a couple cold ones, and man, they talk so much junk to me. Nothing better than to going out there and smacking a home run or smacking a line drive off the wall and then going out to the ice the outfield and it's like quiet. Nobody says that I'm like, hey man, what happened? <laughs> yeah. And and I and I grew up for that. So well, I can talk junk to anybody. I can get under anybody's skin. Hands down I can get under skin. I don't, I don't really, I don't really like thrive on that or or try to do, it. I enjoy it. I enjoy talking jokes to them, but there's not one single person, all of them, I can do it. I've got under Stevie's skin. I've made Stevie so mad He wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't text me, wouldn't call me. Then like a month ago, the body call me. Hey, man, I love you. What you up to, man? How you doing? You know, you can get under anybody's skin.
0: And it's, it's part of the gamesmanship because you got to be able to, you know, look in a tough class. That can be a little bit of an advantage to be able to get somebody to, out of their comfort zone oh.
1: a little bit, right? You no, know, for the longest time, me and Lizzie had that little thing going. And it, it kind of got fun to me. She didn't want to stage first. I don't care. If, I, I never do the same thing twice. I don't care if I stage first. I don't care if I stage last. It don't matter to me. But singly that everybody still to this day talks about it. In Georgia, 2017, when we run each other in the finals, I shut my car off. It won't even run. It. I did the burnout back there over there. I shut it off. And, and it – and like, was I playing games to get in her head? No. Did I do it to be a, a, a butthole? No. I was just having fun. I was living for that moment and enjoying it and having fun. And too many times people get away from that. They don't understand it. You know, me and Pat talked about it. And he, you know, he, 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 didn't, he didn't come right out and ask why, but he wanted to understand, like, hey, are you that big of a dickhead? No. I was enjoying the moment, man. It was fun. You know, in those moments like that, you have to learn to enjoy them and cherish them and take something away from them because, man, it is a lot of work. There's a lot of long nights I lay on my back under that race car putting pistons in it. There's a lot of nights I don't see my family. You know, we, we'll go on the road and stay gone six days. And I, I miss a, my little boy's ball game or my little girl's dance recital or my little girl's gymnastics meet. So those are a lot of. there's a lot of things that weigh on my mind. Like, you know, sometimes is this racing worth it? Is all this worth it? So those moments like that, when, you know, you can step outside of the box and, and have a little fun with it are the moments that keep you pursuing that, 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 uh, you know, winning or that, or that perfection on a race car. On oh,
0: that right. There is such a great nugget and soundbite because it talks about how important it is to really have fun doing this because it can be, you can take it too seriously sometimes. And it also shows, in my opinion, why, out of all the heads-up, outlaw, whatever you want to call it, door slammer racing, why Pro Mod is the best? Because it's – you literally never know what's going to happen. It is just – it's that wild where you will see moments like that on a regular basis.
1: Well, well, you know, I sit back – and I shouldn't single out anybody, but I sit back and I look at all the different classes of this heads-up stuff. Pro Mod ain't nothing for the most part but a bunch of good old blue-collar guys that enjoy racing. You know they don't have to worry about monday morning that they make their boss mad they kind of do this themselves and so they're able to come outside their box or their shell and be themselves talk junk to one another have fun stand up for what they believe in and and it does that that part of it is what makes drag racing so great you know the <laughs> characters that come and we don't see it you know and and and, and i and i and i say this you know i, I me and, me and I was a better racer when Stevie raced PDRA because me and him talking junk back to one another. And and, and Tommy was better. Me and Tommy used to go back and forth. You know, Jungle Rat and, and the Pumpkin, Moosey and Buck. I mean, it, racing, to me, was a lot better back then when you had people that just straight up just hated you and couldn't stand you. I mean, it made racing better for me. It made it funner.
0: And that's what, in my opinion, makes the street outlaw guys so important and what they bring to drag racing because they have resurfaced that a lot of times that those rivalries you know that the the names of the cars the personalities and again that's what drag racing needs is that kind of stuff to continue to bubble back up bubble bubble back up because those people will then gravitate towards pro mod because oh i like you know the 405 versus texas guys well hey the PDRA is doing this too. This is different. I want to watch this. It, it drags those people in. They, they need it. Absolutely. The thing that helps street outlaws
1: are lots of TV. And I wish some way, somehow, PDRA PDR has a great, they have a great thing. They just don't have any way of getting it out there. I feel like, and, and TV does that for them, man. I mean, and, and you're right. I, I, I wish, you know, if someone don't like me, it don't bother me. You don't have to tell me. I know it. And, and and I enjoy that. And it needs to get back to that. Everybody, that's what makes, you know, football and baseball. People have a side to choose, a side to pull for, and a side to hate. And in racing, if you don't have that separation, you know, it does get boring. I mean, it gets boring watching the same. But if you have a side to pull for, somebody to hate or somebody to pull for, it makes it more interesting. It makes it better. I can tell you how many times i turn on – flow racing or this racing or that racing to watch somebody lose you know i don't watch it just to watch two cars go down a racetrack i'm pulling to get somebody or i'm pulling for somebody
0: best example of that i can remember recently as i was actually at an event that flow was putting on over to eldora I was covering it and scotty bloomquist came out and there are two type of dirt late model fans you either like him or you want to see? Are you hate everything he stands for? You hate his haircut. You hate his dog, and that's just the way it is. And he plays into that. It's fantastic to watch. And I'll tell you what, he sells a boatload of t-shirts. He helps others. Like that. That is, he's doing it right, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Now. I love it. Now you've, you know, again, when you make enough laps behind the wheel of a Pro Mod, things happen. You see some crazy stuff. You do some crazy stuff. What, what are some of the more interesting moments you've either seen or had behind the wheel of a car where it's like uh, either a close call, you know, a hood scoop going into low orbit, or, you know, the first time you blew a hood scoop off a car, what was that like?
1: Man, the first, I didn't know what had happened the first time I blew one off. You know, when we first, when I first started driving these things, You just drive them. If something happens, you shut it off and you're like, okay, we'll figure it out. Now that I've drove enough, I can actually, you know, with your head sock on and your helmet and your earmuffs and all that stuff, you can feel the car and you can hear the car. I've made enough laps that when it don't make the right sound, I'm usually out of the throttle. Or if it don't feel right, I'm out of the throttle because I know, hey, I've made 10,000 runs in this thing. Something's a little off right here. and, And we check it. But the first time I blew a hood scoop off, it was kind of crazy. I'll tell you the craziest thing that happened to me. And there's a video about it. If you look on YouTube somewhere, there's a video when me and Tommy ran each other in the finals at Maryland for the last man standing race. They won a PDR. It was the last man. We used to go up there and run on Wednesday night. Great, It was a great race. I enjoyed it. Well, Tommy's car is over there missing. We stage it. He's missing. I put mine on a two-step. I let go of the button. And at about 100 foot, the camshaft broke. And this was like four years ago. And let me explain to you what happened. So you're putting all this nitrous oxide into the motor, right? And you're putting all this fuel into the motor. But when you break the camshaft, that motor still fires, but it leaves the valves open. And when that motor fired, it had the valves open. All that nitrous and all that raw fuel in the manifold, it was a bomb. And I, to this day, I have never felt, I couldn't see, I couldn't hear. It blowed the windows out of the car. It blew the firewall off the car. It blew the hood in four pieces. It blowed the manifold. The manifold looked like a football. It blowed it and bursted it out. It blowed the throttle bodies over the grandstand. I had a little kid that come up to me holding the throttle bodies like, hey, will you autograph these? I was like, look, man, I'll give you a T-shirt. I need those. We have a race yeah. in a week, and I can't get another set of throttle bodies. But that was probably hands down the craziest thing. It broke the camshaft. I have never, to this day, experienced anything like that, man. It was the biggest, loudest, kaboom! And you can watch it on uh, on YouTube somewhere, man. It just destroyed the front end of that car.
0: So now you can officially say you know what it's like if someone tossed a flashbang into a pro mod, like as yeah, you're probably driving. Like,
1: probably like five sticks of dynamite into the front of my car. Like it blows <laughs> the firewall completely out of the car. That, I just, I've never seen nothing like that.
0: Yeah, that would definitely, I could only imagine what that would be like inside the vehicle. Because I've been on the outside when a hood scoop, when it goes bonk, and like an intake's been blown off or split. Oh, yeah. That gets my attention. I couldn't imagine being inside the car when, like you said, literally a bomb goes off and all of a sudden, you know. Craziest
1: thing I've ever seen.
0: You're going God knows how fast. You're trying to figure out why all of a sudden uh, you're getting fresh air in the car and, uh, you know, it's not making noise anymore.
1: No. I wonder why everything went dark all of a sudden. Made it blow the visor off my head. Blow the oh, wow. Off my head. I've never seen nothing like that. That was, that, crazy. Are, that was crazy.
0: Like, I've seen a nitro car break a camshaft, and, like, the damage, it, you know, it, it just rips an engine apart. But, you, like you said, with a nitrous car, you know, it's like
1: – It's a bomb. sitting there. It's a ticking time bomb.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's essentially – yeah, What well, again, what nitrous is you're just – you're, you're throwing gas on a fire already in a very contained place and just trying to hope that it, you know, you, that you have added enough fuel, enough air, enough nitrous to uh, all in equal parts that it doesn't make, you know, aluminum turn to a liquid. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And a lot of oxygen in a nitrous motor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it, I, I wish I had like a, this would be a great time if I had the visual of like, this is a normal valve. This is a nitrous valve.
1: <laughs> yeah, melted. <laughs> yeah,
0: melted or just the size comparison. Cause I always tell people, you know, that you can tell when a when a when a ProMon nitrous car fires up because it sounds big and angry. It's a completely oh, yeah. different angry. noise. <laughs>
1: They're pissed off from the time you start them to the time you show them off.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's like the the thing that drove that home was when Kyle Cutell fire, fired his car up at Ducks Race one time. And it just, it struck me. I'm like, you hear like the turbo car and it sounds like, you know, a, a little dinosaur. And then the nitrous car fires up and it's the T-Rex. That's good for you.
1: That's
0: we're going to take another quick commercial break before we, uh, we just ask some more questions with uh, Jay Cox here on the uh, the Dragzine Podcast. The new fast supercharger and cam power packages for Chevy LS and Chrysler Gen 3 Hemi engines are perfectly matched systems that combine a specially designed comp cams low-shock technology camshaft with the proven performance of an Elderbrock TVS supercharger. Fast engineers work closely with Comp and Elderbrock to eliminate the guesswork out of choosing the right cam for boosted applications. Visit FuelAirSpark.com for more information on these power packages. All right. We're back here on the show. We've talked about all kinds of fun stuff, you know, turning your, your nitrous car into a a literal Roman candle, sending, sending throttle bodies up so high in the air that the air force picks it up on radar. Lots of, lots of fun stuff here. And, I want to talk about something of you to get your take on this. Cause I don't know if you've ever raced quarter mile nitrous. So we could talk about that in this, but you know, you've got the outlaw eighth mile stuff and the NHRA, you know, quarter mile stuff. You know, to you, what's the differentiating factor between those two, other than the distance?
1: Probably it seems like over there in the NHRA they make you spend fifty thousand and then next week they want you to spend another fifty thousand. And and that that's that's probably the only setback for me. I, until NHRA figures out how to put a rule package together and stick with something and not cost, I mean, it costs enough to race these cars day in and day out. You can't constantly make your guys change their program race to race and spend not thousands, but, you know, hundred thousands of dollars to, to, to be able to race over there. Um, that, that's the only thing that separates for me. Listen, you're running so fast in the eighth mile. When I get this thing shut off and I got the shoots out, Man, I'm down there at a thousand foot. You know what I mean? I mean, so what what do you want to hold the throttle another two or three seconds? It's it's, it's not a big difference to me. I, I like PDRA. I love PDRA. I'm an outlaw style racer. I'll always be an outlaw style racer. Stevie's an outlaw style racer. He's had a lot of success over there. I could go over there and have success. No questions. Do I want to? No. Would I ever do it? Maybe. But NHRA has to really step back and look at this thing and say, guys, these are grassroots racers. They're pro mod guys. They're, they're they're guys that every one of them work for a living. They have to figure out a rules package that they can take and race and race a whole season and not cost people so much money. I mean, all this safety crap that they made NHRA throw into. You know, when they when they did away with the points deal and they said, hey, uh, you can come over here and race and run a couple of races, just, just just sign up. You know, I thought about it, and then two weeks later, they throw in all these safety features covering the transmission, undercoating the hood. Man, I called Rick Jones, and he was like, 25 to 30 grand. Dude, 25 to 30 grand for me is a quarter of my racing season taken away. Just, just to do some safety stuff that you don't really need. One person had it happen one time to them, and they made everybody spend 30 grand. I mean, that's, that, 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 I don't know if that's what you wanted, but you know, anytime people compare PDRA to, to NHRA to me, the number one reason I have never went over there is because of the rules package. You know, a, a nitrous car is in trouble over there from day one. And number two, they're going to make you spend money hand over fist. If you go over there and win or be successful, they're going to make you spend money hand over fist to keep being successful. I can't do that. I can go race the PDRA with a nitrous car. They don't make me spend more money. If I want to spend money to get faster or do something, I have to do it on my own, you know?
0: No, no, that, that totally makes it That's a great way to – to kind of put the difference there. And I think that, you know, just like you said, the safety stuff is one thing, but to go from eighth mile to quarter mile, it's not just a, a gear change and a couple other things. There's a lot more that has to go into that to to make the full ride, isn't there? Oh yeah, the safety stuff is what
1: kills me, man. All the stuff you'd have to do to the race car and you add all that weight to it. I mean, you know, we could take one of these PDRA cars, same car would go over there. We had to choke a bunch of lead in it. I think we got to put around 100 pounds in it to go over there and race with them. Um, you know, change, change the transmission ratios, change the gear ratio. Other than that, we're good to go, you know? But it's just, you know, that's, man, that is just way, way too much money to spend to go over there and be competitive and win a race. And then they throw a rule on you next week or this safety feature or that safety feature is just, it's crazy. I mean, they have these fuel shutoffs on these damn fuel-injected nitrous motors. For what? it's a mechanical fuel pump. When I kill the ignition on it, it quits pumping fuel. The motor's done turning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Absolutely
0: crazy. And it's interesting to get your perspective there because there's some guys, too, that, like, they don't want to race quarter mile for whatever reason. There's some guys that look at it from a a safety point of view. They don't want to go that fast. And then there's other guys that are like, sign me up. I'll do whatever I can to to make that full trip and, you know, go 250 plus.
1: If I had just boatloads of money or, or a big-time sponsor and, and, the P, and the NHRA would get the rules and stuff right, I'd run a couple races with them. I wouldn't commit to all season. But I'm telling you, the money aspect of it and the rules package just is, is what deters me from it. Going that fast, I love going fast. I drive a Nitro car today. If somebody called me today and wanted me to jump in their Nitro car, I'd be there. I, I would fly there myself right now and jump in one. I love to go fast. I love to drive the next fastest thing out there. Um, is it ever going to happen? Probably not. I don't, I don't push it. I don't, I don't, I don't try, but going fast speed, stuff like that. Don't, don't, don't bother me. I mean, I, I love it.
0: And I think you mentioned with the pro mod racers, a lot of them are grassroots racers. And I think that ties back to the fact that that's what makes the class to me. So interesting is that you get these racers that aren't afraid to speak their mind and enjoy what they do and do it on their own terms, because there are options out there for you to race. Oh, there's there's
1: there's more options and more places to race and to run a pro mod right now than there ever has been. You got PDRA, you got Midwest, you got NHRA, you got that Southern Outlaw series down south, and then, you know, Virginia, Galat, Darlington, uh, Maryland, NMC, they all have pro mod races, big money pro mod races, twenty grand to win that you can go run a pro mod anytime you want to go
0: run Yeah. To me that's what makes if if I had lottery money that would be the reason why I would build a pro mod or something like that because you can race at so many different places across the country at any time literally Absolutely absolutely And, and that doesn't include like if the local track says hey you know you Darlington calls you up on a Wednesday and says hey Friday Friday are you available we want to do an eight car shoot out, you know, bring some fans in, that kind of deal. I'm guessing you guys have already have the truck warmed up, ready to go.
1: Man, I'll be there in a heartbeat, buddy. We love it. We love it.
0: Now, I always like to kind of throw some fun questions at my guests towards the end and make things interesting. A lot of times it revolves oh. around racing. Go ahead. This time, you know, you you mentioned this, you played you played baseball back in your day, you know, back in the day. So we're going to do a baseball question for you rather than a a racing question. If you could join any baseball team to play throughout history, like instantly you could transfer and play for them, what team would you join and why would you go play ball for them?
1: Atlanta Braves. Hands down. I don't know. I, I grew up a huge Chipper Jones fan, and I've just always loved the, the Atlanta Braves coming up through baseball when I was playing Little League or high school or even college, man. I dreamed about playing with the Braves. And, when I was taking batting practice, or either I take BP, I, I would pretend like I was sitting at home plate at Atlanta Braves Stadium, hitting a home run or whatever. I mean, just always growing up a, a Atlanta Braves fan, and probably partly it was because Bobby Cox, he had the last name as
0: me as a manager. I thought that would be cool. But I just I grew up a, a Atlanta Braves fan. See, and that's what I love about doing this show is that I get to talk to so many different people and asking racing questions to guys can always be fun, but it's nice to be able to throw like a, a personal question in there for someone like you like that. Cause they like said you, you talked about the beer garden hecklers and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's what makes racing interesting because you like, there's so many stories you can tell about racers out there. You never know what they've done. Man, no, you don't. Everybody, everybody's got a different story. It does. It makes it awesome. And going off of that, I'll ask you one more. What's one of the most interesting places you've had to play baseball at, dealing with fans or whatever? You know, what's a good baseball story you can throw out there before we uh, close things out? Man, when I was in
1: college, we went to the World Series in uh, Rosenblatt Stadium. That was probably hands down the most memorable, most fun time I ever had. We were, man, they were wearing me out. We were playing, um, we were playing. Cal State Fullerton. And uh man, they I think they carry, they must have carried like 10 busloads of fans up there. And they were all in the outfield and they were just wearing me out, wearing me out. And uh I came up the bat and I hit a home run. I hit one actually up into their area where they were at. And they throwed the ball back at me when I went out there. And I didn't say one, man. I got it. I throwed it to the guy. I kept it. And uh come back up, I hit another home run out there. And then they were still heckling me. Usually when you hit two bombs, they showed up. They're like, hey, man, good job. No, they're still wearing me out. And uh, I'll never forget it, man. I was in the outfield. And I, I didn't want to look at them because when you look at them, man, they go crazy. I mean, they just – and they, like if you've ever been to a, a stage like that and played on I mean, you're talking 40,000 people. I mean, when they holler at you and they're talking joke to you, like the hair stands up on the back of your neck. Well, man, I was standing in uh, right in left field. And I heard somebody say, hey, Jay. And like this big redneck voice. And I didn't, I knew they knew me because I could tell the voice, but I didn't want to turn around and look at them. And uh, this this boy that grew up down the road from me, Drew Fowler, he played football and a huge linebacker. He's like 6'4", like 250 pounds. Well, he played for Army. He played linebacker. And uh, he's like, hey, Jay, next one of these people up here talks junk to you, I'm going to body slam them over the fence. And after that, Everybody, I mean, this dude had a wife beater on. He looked like Hulk Coleman. Nobody talked, talked to him. He went, <laughs> hey, Jay, good job, man. We we're, were pulling for you. And he sat there the rest of the weekend, and it, man, it was awesome. Uh, that was probably, that was probably, I, I still to this day, I remember, I tell people that story. It, no, no matter where you go in life, you always got people you can connect with and make memories, and that was, that was kind of cool
0: life lesson never mess with the redneck and a wife beater that <laughs> built that's built like a brick house that says if he says i'm gonna slam somebody i think all those people probably went you know what this dude he, is probably gonna that, do it the first one he'd have thought over the bleachers they would have cleared that place out <laughs> <You'd> <laughs> be, you know people would be like why is that guy sit by himself out there you'd been like A funny story, he just threw one of them out (laughs) onto the field. Oh, okay. Oh, Oh, Drew's a big boy,
1: man. I'll never forget that.
0: Well, Jeff, our our time here is coming to an end. I want to give you a chance to thank all your sponsors, pull your John Force, tell everybody who you race for, what you do, where they can learn more about your deal. So uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to you, my friend. It's all you, you know.
1: I appreciate all y'all listening today. I enjoy talking with you all. I'd like to thank, you know, Buckner Construction, Marcus, and Matthew up there. They uh, they picked me up two years ago put a lot of faith in me, and, and they've had my back from day one, and I appreciate it. They're a good group of guys, man. They, they got a couple good businesses up there, a rebar company and a and a, a brick and center block masonry company. And great group of guys, honest, good people. Uh, I'd like to thank Mark Mickey. Mark Mickey from day one, I've run his transmission. He's always had my back, hands down, the – nicest guy you'll ever meet the most honest guy and probably and i would say the best there is with a transmission and a, and, and a deal like that and i like to thank him he does a lot for my program and uh, you know I, I like to thank charlie buck charlie buck when he's been together a long time he does all my motors and i appreciate everything you do for me charlie uh, thank you lester Lester's body shop man they're, they're a great group of guys i met them three or four years ago and his dad and him they they would come to the races and hang out with me and they're a great group of guys man they, they, they helped me out And you know I got a guy right here in my hometown uh Vance uh Smithfield Collision and uh he's been with me now for two years I'd really like to thank him man he, he stuck it out with me when I didn't have nobody when I lost one of my sponsors and he, he just he said man I enjoy watching you race I want to watch you race I want to do whatever I can to help you and, he came on board with me and, 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 and he's been really good, man. I, I think the world of everybody, you know, my racing deal was a really, really close knit family, basically, you know, and, and it's, it's a business deal, but at the end of the day, we're all like family and, and, and I enjoy it, man. I, I enjoy that emotion. You know, when I do good, I, I feel like I've done something for my family. When I do bad, I feel like they all want to kick my tail, but it, it's a lot of fun, man. I got a lot of good people and, uh, I'd like to say thank you to Ricky, Ricky Smith. He's helped me come a long ways here lately. You know, I, I took a lot of steps back. I, I probably made some wrong decisions, went down the wrong way with some different stuff, and, and he kind of pulled me out of it and got me straightened out, and I'd like to thank him, man. He did a lot for me. I'd like to thank Charles Carpenter. Um, you know, he, he, he's, he's always helped me out a lot, and, and Danny Perry. You know, that's about it, bud.
0: Awesome. Of course, I've got to thank my sponsors, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, ProCharger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Fuel Air Spark Technology, Elderbrock, Manley, JE Pistons, and Dart. Jay, it was awesome having you on the show, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the track again in the future.
1: Yes, sir, buddy. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you for your time, man.